the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The Bruce Hooley Show podcast is brought to you by HemisphereCoffeeRoasters.com. Creating jobs and restoring dignity one cup at a time. Good coffee doing good. Learn more at HemisphereCoffeeRoasters.com. Nice to be with you on a Thursday afternoon. Basketball season starts tonight. Scrimmage. Scrimmage tonight. Looking forward to that. Uh, Buckeyes play Nebraska on uh, Saturday at noon. Uh, We are the home of the Pittsburgh Steelers. uh, Victorious over the Cleveland Browns on Sunday, which I know thrills my next guest. He is uh, Rob Walgate, Vice President, American Policy Roundtable. Uh, This man has courage. He's a Steeler fan in Northeast Ohio. Hello, Rob. Glad to have you on the show. Oh, thanks for having me, Bruce. I, I think to go on the record, I should say I root for the Browns 15 games a year living in Northeast <laughs> Ohio. But um, I grew up in the Pittsburgh area, so uh, that's why it's there. My wife, definitely, who grew up in the Pittsburgh area as well. But there was no doubt she's always rooting for the Browns. All right, very good. Well, let's get to uh, some things going on with policy in the U.S. I'm sure you watch with interest, as did I, the election of Glenn Youngkin. In Virginia, the uh, commentators on many media outlets have tried to make this about um, kind of hoodwinking people into thinking that, uh, you know, race is um, something that uh, white supremacists respond to and that if you voted for Glenn Youngkin, you must be that. Uh, I don't think that's a very sophisticated analysis of it. You guys at American Policy Roundtable were nonpartisan. So what's your analysis of what happened in Virginia and then the close race in New Jersey? Well, there was a large turnout in Virginia when compared to the 2013 and 2017 gubernatorial election. And one thing you can look at is Terry McAuliffe that won the 2013 Virginia gubernatorial election. I believe he won that election by roughly 60,000 votes, so not a large margin. The libertarian in that race got over 140,000 votes. So Terry McAuliffe wasn't actually the gold standard or the person that people wanted in 2013 in a solid blue state like that. So when everything became localized, when school board races and discussions and education started happening, and people began getting out the word that they wanted Yunkin in office, that's when I think you saw the D's try and make it more of a national anti-Trump race yeah. instead of a localized Virginia gubernatorial race. And it was clear in looking at that. The Democrats right now need Donald Trump more than the Republicans need Donald Trump. I think that is evident from this election. They need someone to be out there to be the bad guy, someone they can beat up on. And Youngkin, while I'm sure many of Trump's supporters came out full force to support him, it wasn't like he overly embraced that. He knew what this election was about, and he stayed on message. I think that's a really savvy analysis. I'd not heard it put that way, that Democrats need Trump more than the GOP does. I said yesterday the GOP has a very deep bench. I don't know who their presidential candidate would be in 2024 if it's not Trump. I hope it's not Trump. I think that makes the 2024 election about the 2020 election. And I just think there is a fresh energy on the Republican side. I know you guys don't take a side, 
But I look on the Democratic side and I don't see candidates who are the equivalent of a Ron DeSantis, a Tom Cotton, a Josh Hawley, uh, a, a Mike Pompeo. I don't see candidates like that on the Democratic side because I think if they had them, Rob, Joe Biden wouldn't be a president trending toward 80 years of age. No, you're right. The bench is something that needs to happen and needs to be developed and there needs to be leaders. And they're also there's very much a fracturing of the Democratic Party. And that's evident when you look at AOC's comments in regards to the Virginia election. She doubled down and said it was because they didn't um, embrace progressive values enough. It did, they didn't welcome a seat at the table for AOC, for the squad and the things that they believe. So there is dysfunctionality on the Democrat side. There's a long way to go until the 2024 election. And as you know, a third of the Senate seats are up in the U.S. Senate in 2022, as well as the entire U.S. House, as well as a, n- a number of important gubernatorial races. Rob Walgate is our guest. He's the vice president of the American Policy Roundtable. Their website is aproundtable.org. They produce the Public Square radio program, which is an outstanding program. Um, you can find that at thepublicsquare.com. I know that... Uh, you have your eye on the GOP Senate race in the state of Ohio. We were fortunate to be a part of an event that had all six of the main candidates on stage here about two weeks ago. What's your sense right now if you had a thermometer to give me the temperature of where you see the Senate race sitting at this moment? Who has energy? Who has momentum? Who's struggling a bit? I don't think we're going to get to the primary and have six candidates, uh, the same six that were in here a week or so ago. Do you think all six will survive, take it all the way to May or not? You know, I'm not sure, Bruce. I would, I'm not in the prediction business as far as that goes because that's a bit risky for me. Yeah. But I'm not sure what to expect. I mean, I know uh, filing deadlines coming up after the first of the year. We'll have the May primary. I know right now is that uh, this may not be a popular opinion, but I don't think a lot of people in Ohio that will be involved in that primary are paying attention to the candidates right now. I don't see them looking that far in depth. They will start paying attention as it gets closer. Sure, people that um, watch it closely at all times are. So I think there'll be a lot of things that change over the next six months before we get to that. And I think you're going to see, you may even see the consolidation of some campaigns where they form partnerships because they want to make sure this person gets in or that person doesn't get in. So I think it's going to be very intriguing. There's going to be a lot to watch and the developments that happen. I mean, look at, look at, I'll use Virginia as an example. We talk about this being six months away in the primary in Virginia, everything kind of turned, I believe it was September 29th mm-hmm. was the debate where Terry McAuliffe in essence stuck his foot in his mouth. And I'm paraphrasing here, but he said, parents don't need to be involved in the educational decisions of their children. Now, some would say it's a bit harsh of a statement that I paraphrase, but um, that that's what I heard on what he said. Well, he said early, I, I don't. Th- he said I don't think parents should be telling schools what they should teach. So I don't think right. your assessment of that is wrong at all. And and Rob, that resonated in Virginia, of course. I used to say all politics is local. Uh, now I think that all politics has kind of become national because that sentiment, I don't think parents should be involved in what schools teach. I don't think parents should be involved, dot, 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 I think was a big part of why we saw more newcomer candidates in the state of Ohio for school board. 
1,351 new candidates who had never run before for school board as compared to 1,277 incumbents. Uh, I backed yeah. some candidates down here. Uh, we, we got eight of the 13 uh, elected that I think advocate for parents being involved. Was that a thing in Northeast Ohio? And do you have kind of a long view picture of how that shook out around the state? Yeah, it was a thing in North, Northeast Ohio, and it's going to continue to be something that happens around the country. I got calls from folks that wanted to run for, for school board, but they missed the filing deadline. So I think you just saw a blip on the radar of what's about to happen in the years to come. I think you're going to see much more involvement from parents regarding the educational choices that are made in schools and where their kids are having to listen. We all, whether your child is homeschooled, whether your child attends private school or your child's in public school, we want to see all schools thrive and survive. And the taxpayers in those communities have a say whether or not they have a child, a grandchild, or a vested interest in that school. They do because they're paying tax dollars towards that school. So they want to see it thrive and they should have a say in what happens inside the building. The community should have a say. That's why I'm a big fan of of local control, local school boards, things that are done locally as it impacts education. You saw that resonate in Virginia, and it spread statewide. Rob Olgate, American Policy Roundtable, our guest, APRoundtable.org. Their uh, radio and podcast program is The Public Square. You'll find that at thepublicsquare.com. Give me some insight. You do a lot of work. Your organization does a lot of work, keeps its eye on uh, the state house. I was very surprised when Bob Cup, the Speaker of the House, said, basically, I've lost interest in any kind of a bill that would outlaw mask mandates or vaccine mandates. Give me a, some insight into Bob Cup. Does he just believe that's a political loser for him, for Republicans? We have another bill now that somebody from Marysville has proposed. What's, why would they turn their back on what I think would be a popular bill with Ohio voters? I'll give you insight to the state house. The Republican caucus right now is dysfunctional. If they wanted to make money, they set up a camera in the in the corner of their where they meet in the caucus room, turn it on and sell advertisements or subscriptions <laughs> and people could see all the infighting that happens. Now, there's going to be a lot of people that are upset with me that I just said that, but that's reality, that's the truth. Some of them can't even agree that today is Thursday in that room. <laughs> I, I, that that's the truth and the reality of it, Bruce. That is the bottom line. They can't agree on anything, and that's why it's taken so long to get so many things done. Okay, so on the federal level, I understand that in the Democratic Party because you've got the really extreme left, AOC, Cory Bush, Rashida Tlaib, Ilhan Omar, and then you've got others who don't share that. But why mm-hmm. is that the case in the Ohio State House? Do we have a division among the young Republicans in the supermajority who think differently than the old liners like Bob Cup. What's the divide? The divide is we have a Republican governor that wanted to be the chief medical advisor mm. for 11 and a half million mm. Ohioans. Mm. And some Republicans thought that was a great idea that we shut down the state of Ohio. That's why it took so long to do what was done with Senate Bill 22. That should have happened a year and a half ago. I mean, the thought of that That's where the dysfunctionality and the breakdown comes from. What is the true role of government? And do we have liberty? Where does, I mean, that's the discussion. That's what needs to be put on the table. And I think, you know, that's why you've seen, you talked about the United States Senate race. That's why you've seen the tune change of some of the people that are involved in that race. 
Interesting. Interesting. Over the past 18 months. Um, you know what? And I will speak one thing to that United States Senate race. I am going to say one thing. I was disappointed. And some will say, Rob, I can't believe you're going to pick on this candidate or that candidate. But, but I think we should all be for truth. And I think we should be for the discussion. I, I think we need to get past the calling of names. I think we need to get past the putting down of people. And I was very disappointed to see the tweet from J.D. Vance um, regarding Alec Baldwin after that tragedy mm. and, and what happened. We want to make fun of people. We want to get on people. They, I, I just I don't see the need for that. I don't see what good comes out of that. And I think that doesn't unite people. And again, I'm not saying we have to unite people in the sense of, oh, we have to all be in agreement. We have to concede every issue. No, 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 no. I am not saying that we can stand for the principles in which we believe, but to stomp on other people why they're down, I, I, I'm just I'm just not a fan of that. I'm not sure you know people that do that should be the ones that have one of 100 votes in the United States Senate. Well, I don't disagree with you, and I, I'll point it at a different candidate. I think you know J.D. Vance's comment. My issue with it is you're not getting any additional votes based on that comment, the same as Josh Mandel is not bringing any additional people. In fact, he's driving people from the Republican Party by continuing to say that the election was stolen from Trump or that Mark Zuckerberg ought to be in jail or whatever. It's like, stay on the issues. Take a lesson from Glenn Youngkin. Take a lesson. Stay on the topic that people want to respond to that impacts their life. Insults don't help anybody. So let's wrap up with this. We're talking with Rob Walgate, American Policy Roundtable, APRoundtable.org. Our state house does not have time to get into the uh, banning of a mask or vaccine mandate. But they do have time, Rob, to uh, look at sports betting. So they are prioritizing sports betting. And I know that you guys, as constitutionalists, have uh, one thing that, you know, maybe they might want to take – Note of, in advance of passing a sports betting bill. Yeah, well, the reason they have time for sports betting is because it's one of the most powerful lobbies and hires some of the most powerful lobbyists across the country. So much money is spent on gambling and the lobbying industry for the amount of money that people lose in it. Although it doesn't bring the windfall to the state that is promised. That's number one. Number two, when it comes to the Constitution, The Ohio Constitution prohibits gambling except for in three instances. One is the state lottery. Two is charitable. Three are the four casinos that were approved in 2009. Go check out, read uh, the Ohio Constitution. It clearly lays that out. We have the case that makes it solidly for that. Uh, I know they're in discussions to create a new bill. They both say they're going to be in agreement in the House and the Senate. I'm anxious to see what it looks like because the one that would pass the Senate with only one dissenting vote was disastrous. Mm. It was awful, and it was clearly unconstitutional. The LSC, Legislative Service Commission, um, said it was unconstitutional, said they better take a deeper look into it based on what the courts are most likely to say. So as it pertains to sports gambling, the thought that they want to do it and put that in every person's hand around the state of Ohio, it's kind of scary. We have more problems to worry about in this state than that. So yeah. I'll, I'll be in touch with your listeners and let them know once we see the final version of the bill, um, all the flaws that go along with it. Fantastic. Listen to uh, the American Policy Roundtable at aproundtable.org, the public square, thepublicsquare.com. Rob Walgate, vice president of that organization. Thanks for your time today, Rob. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Bruce. Talk soon. All right. 
Uh, we know the murder rate in Columbus soon will be a record over last year's record. What about other major cities in the state of Ohio? Details next. So it will be a matter of perhaps one more weekend before Columbus sets a new record for murders, 175 last year, calendar year 2020. Uh, We are uh, over 170 now. Uh, I'm not saying that with any relish, but, you know, when you demoralize your police department the way that Andrew Ginther has, when you bring in a civilian police oversight board, people who've never done the job, to question everything that you do, uh, police officers can tell that they're not being supported. And it also manifests itself in police officers being afraid to do policing. When you have a group of wokesters sitting in judgment of you, you see a fight break out on a street corner, um, would you be eager to get out of your cruiser knowing there will be people with camera phones recording every movement, knowing you'll have civilians saying, well, you know, you should have, you should have, you should have done the Joe Biden. You should have shot him in the leg. You should have tried to de-escalate. should have tased them. All over the state of Ohio, murders are up because, of course, we took people's hope and freedom away with the pandemic lockdowns, with drug abuse, with poverty. Uh, Columbus, Ohio, the rate per, like, 100,000 people is the rate that they look at in terms of whether murders are up or down. And the national average is 6.5 murders per 100,000 people. In Columbus, Ohio, the rate is 9.0 per 100,000 people. So we're way above the national average. That is common throughout the state of Ohio. Um, Akron, Ohio, is at 7.8. Cleveland, Elyria, is at 10.3. And Toledo is at 8.8. There's only one metro area, and I wouldn't even really call this a metro area. Canton, Massillon, is at 4.8. But Akron last year had... 55 murders in 2020, which was up from 33 in 2019. Toledo had 56 murders in 2020. That was up from 36 in 2019. The 175 in Columbus was way up from 2019, and we're going to be over that this year. It's not just an Ohio thing, of course. It's a national thing. Uh, So far, murders across the country are up 30%. I don't buy into a lot of the things that we attribute to COVID, and I don't attribute this exclusively to COVID. I think this is more an outgrowth of the aftermath of George Floyd. Because so many things were attributed to George Floyd— the race hustlers like Joy Reid, Don Lemon, Robin D'Angelo, and others became emboldened to say that racism was the cause of every bad thing in America after George Floyd. Interesting to note, race was never brought up at the trial of Derek Chauvin. Bad policing, improper policing, not following orders, exceeding orders, all of that was brought up. Race was never brought up. And in fact, the black attorney general of Minneapolis, Keith Ellison, said, yeah, we, uh, we couldn't bring that case because we didn't have it to make. 
So it's not COVID and it's not race. It's demoralizing police. That's the overwhelming reason why murders are up. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.